He sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward-Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the Word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. I'm happy to be here. I feel very at home with people, ladies in ministry and then pastor's wives. It's one of my comfort zones. So I'm happy to be here and I thank my husband for releasing me this Saturday morning. I was just telling the ladies when we're coming up the stairs that he was away on a retreat so I sent him a text yesterday to say that I'm going to the harvest breakfast meeting tomorrow. Then he sends a text back how can they have a breakfast meeting on a Sunday morning? <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 no. Today is Friday. It's a holiday. So it's tomorrow. Uh, okay. Because often he's not very excited when he's coming back home. And then I've gone on a frolic of my own. But thank God that he came yesterday. So I performed all due benevolence. Amen. Amen. I also salute your general overseer, Reverend Fitzgerald Udonko. He sent me a text, is it? Yesterday or the day before. And then I, I replied, hey, where did I sleep last night? And then he didn't say anything again. <laughs> so please send him my love. And also to his precious wife, Lady Pastor Thelma. Thank you for having me here. And also for having this vision for the ladies, because the need may be there, but to get somebody to say, let me gather the ladies, let our lives be spoken into and all that, it's a blessing. It doesn't happen everywhere. So don't take her for granted. Otherwise, we'll take her to Lighthouse. <laughs> Amen. And I salute all of you, ladies, who stand by the visionaries. I know that it's not easy. But this morning, hmm, my task is not easy. Because there are so many <laughs> varied areas that you think about. You don't know where to start from. You know. But often when people ask me, people ask me, so how do you, what do you do as a bishop's wife? How do you behave? How do you comport yourself. What are you supposed to do? I said, you are just supposed to be a Christian. That's all. And I sincerely believe that when we are just Christians in the true sense of the word, we really become what God wants you to become. Amen. Amen. It is not like uh, maybe if you have to be a, an assemblyman's wife 
And they have to teach you things that are not from the heart. You see, try and go to the community, try and greet them. When they are cleaning the gutter, try and be involved. Try, that is like a put-up. But Christianity is a hard thing. So when God really touches your heart, then it doesn't matter where you are because it's not, um, it's not a pose. It's not an act that is put up. It's not something that maybe you are not at home, but you are outside. You know, it's allowing God to live through you. So then it becomes genuine and it is not forced and you allow the grace of God to really take care of you. Amen. But so I, I may touch from here and there and see, but 10 reasons why pastors' wives do not use their talents. 10 reasons why pastors' wives or ladies sometimes do not use their talents. Matthew chapter 25. It's a very simple parable. I'm sure we've all heard of it. 14 to 19. I hope you can find it easily. I always say, just like you can find the best hairdresser, the good seamstress behind that kiosk, behind that big smelly gutter, I pray that you can find the word of God too. Amen. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded them with the same, and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. Amen. Amen. Now, God has given each and every one of us something to do in the kingdom. Amen. But oftentimes, we don't believe it. And we don't use whatever talent it is for varied reasons. And so I'm going to go through some of the reasons and then I'll touch on other things. Amen. God endows everybody with gifts and callings, whether you believe it or not. I know that some of us, especially ladies, I don't know whether it's societal or what we have grown up with or... But I think that most inferiority complex in relation to the ministry lies with ladies more than with men. More natu men naturally feel that they are called, they can do something, they are, you know. But women often feel that calling, I mean, call it something else. Calling is a very big word. It cannot be that I'm called by God. It cannot be that God's eye is on me. I mean, the church... As some people say, if I come, it's not full. If I don't come, it's not empty. So, I mean, my absence or my presence means nothing. And I would also say that it is not easy to be a woman in ministry. You know, I have been somewhere to preach before. And there was a man in the congregation. And he went, he walked out of the meeting. And he sat outside. And they were trying to get him to come in. And he said, I don't listen to women preachers. 
So sometimes it's even doctrinal because there are certain verses in the Bible that says, I don't suffer a woman to preach. Women should keep quiet in the church. When they reach home, they should ask their husbands. But sometimes you ask your husband, he doesn't even know. So I don't know sometimes what Paul meant, ask your husband. Sometimes a woman even has a more deeper and spiritual insight. So if she used to ask her husband, he would take it to another place. You know, and also because Paul said that I do not suffer a woman to usurp authority. In the same way, the Bible would say that Philip had four ladies who prophesied. We know about Deborah who became a judge in, in, in Israel. We know that the Holy Spirit said, I will pour my spirit upon my sons and my daughters and they shall prophesy. The Bible says in Christ there is neither Greek nor Jew, male nor female. But at the same time, we grapple with these verses. And because ministry has been so male-dominated, sometimes you are not even thought about. When there's a meeting and they are thinking, who can do this? It's only when they can't find somebody. You see, I have a friend who has (laughs) come into the ministry by default because they had pastors. They were all male pastors. The church was doing well. Everything was going well. Then the assistant pastor, as usual, was very, very influential And so now, decided to leave the church, carry them, half of the members somewhere. And her husband is also a traveling minister. So then the husband says, oh, I can't find anybody to take care of the church. Ah, even you cry, you are there. (laughs) You know? So I met her, she said that I've now become a resident pastor by default. (laughs) And she was very sad about it. And then I said that God uses different circumstances to bring you into his will. And also, it's not about position, it's about the work. You see, but many people feel that for me to be in the ministry or to be called by God, I need a stage ministry. Now, if you come to my church, you may not know even what I do because I do not have, I wouldn't say I have a stage ministry per se. It's true that I hold conferences and it's true that by the grace of God that Conferences have grown and taken me to so many places. But in my own church, I speak like maybe twice a year or three times a year. I speak at Daughter, I Can Make It, Mother's Day, Minister's Wives Conference, and that's it. Do you see? But behind the scenes, I do a lot of pastoral work, which has no banner, no radio announcement, and no TV adverts. But for me, by the grace of God, that is really where my heart is. And that is where, I mean, we can have meetings into the night. And there are times when, when my husband is around, usually, we close very late. When he's not around, we still close late. But it happens that our office closes last. When we come downstairs to the car park, everybody's gone and we don't even know. Because it's one thing after the other pastoral care, scheduling to see the people, going to their homes, all that. But it's not anywhere. It's not on my CV. It's not on TV. It's not on radio. But thank God that I love what I do. So if you are looking... So sometimes I think that we look to be known or to be recognized instead of to obey God. I don't know if you know the difference. (laughs) Because if you are really wanting to obey God... It doesn't matter that the TV cameras are not not there. 
So, well, we read the scripture, so let's go back to the reasons why we don't do God's work. So I would say that one of the reasons is because maybe the calling doesn't carry a certain um, notoriety, a certain loudness, a certain exposure. So you can easily think, this is not what you call calling. Or this is not what you call ministry. Or this is not what you, you call the work of God because I'm not seen. But the fact that you are not seen with what you do does not mean that it is not a call on your life. Amen. And I'm sure that as we go along, we will come to all that. There are things also that I have done and continue to do that it has not always been easy to do. For instance, we used to have, we still do, we have our homecoming convention. So all our pastors and our leaders are supposed to come from everywhere for that convention. Now, years ago when homecoming started, I said to my husband that, you know, homecoming is great and all that, but we just have it. But I think that there should be something to celebrate the event. We should have an opening ceremony. We should showcase the different countries and the different missionaries. People should know a bit of what they are doing. They should come with their flags. They should... My husband and his two other bishops. They said to me, oh, no, 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 no. What time will we have for that? You know, we have to preach. We have to do this. And the people are just here for a few days. And we have to impart the vision. And we have to do this. No, no, no. We, we can't do opening ceremony. Mind you, they haven't seen an opening ceremony before. They don't know what it's about. But they are sure that they can't do it. Do you understand? And then I said, oh, just a few minutes. No, 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 no. A few minutes. No, 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 no. Anyway, so what I go, I said, I'm going to get the flags of all the countries. And I don't really know, but I will organize it. Now. Flags of all the countries. Do you know how much a flag costs? I said, yes, I know. Well, homecoming is a very expensive event. So we don't have money to sponsor flags for opening ceremony. Now, I was very sad very discouraged but the Holy Spirit spoke to me that it's about God and God's people it's not about them the three, I call them the powers that be they don't like it <laughs> TPTB so I said don't worry by the grace of God I will raise the funds myself Huh? you will? yes so I went to each church member I knew Will you sponsor me to buy a flag for Angola? Oh, yes, Sister Mami. Will you sponsor me for five? How much is one? Then I'll turn to Lady Pastor Shelley. Lady Pastor Shelley, how much is one? She would tell me it was quite expensive. So we got country by country. I'll see this person. I say, you, you can give me ten flags. Yeah. What? From where? I said, well, I know you can give me. So in the end, we had the. Then on the day, we had synod, which means that all the pastors have come, all the churches business meetings, what has to be done. It's very intensive from the morning to the evening. And in the evening, we'll have this flag parade. Now they are calling me. Yes, where are you? You said flag parade. We are started. I said, oh, I was in my pastoral or whatever. So I'm just going to change. Mind you, at this time, the church doesn't even have an office. It's now they've come on top. They have all these offices. <laughs> anyway. So I said, no, 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 no. We don't have time. So as I come into the ceremony and I sit down, my husband is on my left, I believe. And Bishop Saki is on my right. And then Bishop Adi. He said, eh, 
So, so, so when are you going up? The pressure and I'm, I, as I'm sitting on the seat is not easy. And then eventually they call me up. And then we do the opening ceremony. And then the whole church is up and standing ovation and they are clapping and there's excitement. And my husband comes and he takes the mic and says that, I have a mega wife. Put your hands together. <laughs> to put your hands together for my mega wife. Hey, you people, you see? The same on me. I don't do such things. It's my wife who brought the idea and all that. You see? Oh, put your hands for her, for, together for her. And then he takes my hand, leads me down the stage. And so, as you are sitting there, <laughs> very nice, but it has come with tears. <laughs> it has come with hard work and fighting. Not for myself, but for the kingdom of God. And now, when we have iron sharpness, iron. We didn't used to have a, an opening ceremony. Now, before it even comes on, then he'll be telling me, opening ceremony. I said, oh. One of them, I said, oh, the first day has passed. It can be second day. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, so, if you're waiting for applause, you're waiting for appreciation, you're waiting for them to sing praise and worship for you are great. You do miracle. No, it's not going to happen. But whatever is on your heart, as you obey God, God himself will bring you through because even your motive is so that the kingdom of God will march forward. Amen. Amen. And one thing that I've also learned is that when people have come from all over the world and they come for that program, when I go back to the countries, the same thing is being replicated. You know, the things they are doing, you know. Even in some of our branches, listen, I'm chatting with you, okay? (laughs) Even in some of our branches, Whenever we went for a meeting, the hospitality used to be so poor. And when I said, this branch, you are a big branch, international church. And you don't know how to receive visitors. You are some way. So we hired a chef. We did this, the expenses. But as they came for homecoming, and as they were looked after, one day I went for a women's conference. When I got to the airport, there was a whole array of women. Hey, they came with the bouquet. I said, hey, what has happened? <laughs> and then they came with a hamper. I said, let me look in the hamper at the airport. They had gum, they had types of nuts, macadamia nuts. I said, ah, you people, you've come on. So we learned it from homecoming. So some of the things, you may not even stand behind a pulpit to teach it. It has affected all the churches. And now when people travel, not lighthouse pastors, they come and say, oh, your hospitality is at another level. Oh, your protocol is at... But it's just begun with a verse. The Bible says that we should be careful to entertain strangers because people have entertained angels unawares. It says that if you are the wife of a deacon, you must be given to hospitality, given to it. It says when you give a prophet a glass of water in the name of a prophet, not in the name of a boyfriend, in the name of somebody who can promote you, in the name of somebody you can get a favor from, but in the name of a prophet, that is where you get a prophet's reward. Amen. So let us not despise the things that are not showcased or are not loud. They don't have brass band, they don't have trumpet, but it's still God's call. Amen. Amen. Now from what we read, the first reason why we don't use our talent is because of fear. 
The servant said, I was afraid, and I went and hid thy talent in the earth. Amen. Amen. Now, fear is an evil spirit. And if we allow fear, it will paralyze us into inactivity. It is one of the greatest forces that prevents people from taking up their talents and using them. At many junctions of your life, fear will try to paralyze you. You see, the lady who came up to sing, she sang so beautifully. But before she did, she said that so many pairs of eyes staring at me. (laughs) Now, some of us will consider the pairs of eyes so much that it will kill God's call on your life. Do you understand me? You may be given something to do. Oh, I can't do it. Oh, it's on stage. Oh, people will mark me. They will say that I'm four over ten or three over ten. People will assess me when I stand up to speak. Fear will not make you become what God has called you to become. And some of us may look so brave behind the pulpit, but our hearts may be beating. But in spite of the fact that you are afraid, you do it anyway. And then as you go along, you forget. You forget about yourself. And you forget about what is going on. So this man said that I was afraid of you. I was afraid. And I went and I hid the talent in the earth. Sometimes it's fear of going away to a branch. Your husband has been sent to a branch. You are afraid. You see, when I'm at HQ, like what Betty said, when I'm at... When I'm at HQ, I can hide under everybody. But when I go to a branch, everybody will be calling me. So for mommy, hey, pastors, everybody will see me. And they will see my shacking big time. And some of us pastors, wise, we can shack. Hey! Big time shacking. Amen. Once somebody called me and said that I'm very upset. I said, well, my husband, we are here leading our normal lives. No... He's now saying that God has called him. And what type of nonsense is this? He was a doctor. And now he says God has called I said, oh. But if he's a doctor and then God has now called him, don't you think as a Christian that he should obey the call? I said, I mean, why should he obey? God has called you to be a doctor, not to be in the ministry. And she said, and even what annoys me is that when you are married to an accountant, you are not called accountant, mommy. When you are married to a doctor, you're not called a doc- doctor, mommy. As soon as you marry a pastor, no, suffer, mommy, suffer, mommy. What is that? And you know, I think that they have all sorts of ex- uh, expectations about me. I-, I don't enjoy this. And I said, you know, what it is is that you are distressed, you are afraid, you are upset because you are afraid of failing. You are afraid of the pressures, you are afraid of what it means. But just trust God. He says that all things work together for good to them that are called according. He says that he knows the plans he has for you. He knows why he brought you into a place like this. So trust him to give you grace for the rest of the journey. And I said, look at me. I live by the grace of God. I said, mm, you cry. Sometimes I wonder if you are normal. Today your husband is going for crusade here. Today he is going for crusade here. And you still are able to whatever. I said, it's the grace of God. I said, oh, no, no. It's not the grace of God. And as I speak now, she's not really involved in the ministry at all. It's like 
If God has called him, he should go. I'm here. Do you see? So some of us really, really misbehave. Even things that ordinary church members will not do. We do. So, but underneath it sometimes is fear. Fear that you may not measure up to the mark. Fear that there will be close marking. Fear that you have to share your husband with so many other people. And I tell you, it's not easy. Amen. Because when he goes out there to minister, often he comes back tired. So your issues, they don't come in. Do you understand? They are put on hold. Your issues are put on hold. And then he rather comes hoping to be ministered to. And sometimes you ask yourself, so where do I fit in? Well, how will I also be ministered to? How will my needs be met? You know, and as you walk along the church, sometimes maybe there are counseling sessions and all that, and your husband is speaking to a, pa- a sister, and the sister is crying, and then he says to the sister, Sister, I really understand what you are going through. So, oh, what an understanding pastor. <laughs> and then you come home, and you are crying, and he's busy doing whatever he's doing. <gasps> how come he knows how to comfort people in the church, but at home? So, look, you know, pull yourself together and let's go, you know? <laughs> Wipe your tears. It's not a, a, a crying matter. Let's move on. And they say, you, you have a dilemma, you know? I'm believing God. I'm, I'm about writing a book about the dilemmas of a pastor's wife. Which one does she... Which one should she do? What is the, the dilemma is that she sees her husband at work and the anointing is so great. He's able to minister to so many people. He's able to touch their hearts, their heads, their pain. And then when it comes to the house, it looks like she's always giving and giving and giving. When will she be given given to? So you look at his pastor's wife, never before. And so even when you are choosing, you choose a pharmacist. (laughs) And then as you are going along, he comes and he says, I'm called. What? Why didn't you say that? It was part of the deal. So fear doesn't allow us. Fear of the fact that a church has to start. Fear that you have to share your husband with so many people, some of whom are ungrateful, some of whom will take advantage of you, some of whom don't behave properly. What do you do in the midst of all that? Amen. Sometimes it's fear of even manifesting ministerial gifts. You are a believer. You believe in Mark 16, 17, that these signs shall follow them that believe. But when they say, come and lay hands, hey, who am I? Why should I lay hands? Because now the teaching in the church of God emphasizes more the, the, the pastoral, the ministry, more than maybe the authority of the believer. Do you understand? So when they say, come and lay hands, say, who am I that I should lay? In fact, when you go and visit people, it doesn't even occur to you that this hand is for laying. All the hand you use is to hold your handbag. But actually to lay hands on somebody. The person says she's sick. Say, oh, may the Lord heal you. <laughs> Have you seen the doctor? What was the prescription? What about the radiologist at Cocoa Clinic? Do you know him? But there are certain basic things that a believer is supposed to walk in. And because you are afraid of walking in those basic things, you never come into what God has for you. Amen.
Sometimes I ask my husband, I say, when I have to go and preach, I am so confused and beside myself. So I, I said to him, I'm sure you are very experienced now and you don't feel any intimidation. It never goes. It's always there, but you feel that you have to do it. So you rise up and you do it. So when you go to conferences or when we go to conferences, we are sitting there and they say, okay, uh, the speakers for today will be Evangelist Benny Hinn, followed by Evangelist Bishop Doug. Then I ask my husband, so how do you feel? No, I just go and I trust God. It's frightening, but what will I do? You know, because when I look at it, he doesn't look frightened. And when I hear the big things he says, he doesn't look frightened at all. But he says that you never get used to it. And that encourages me that if he says that that's how he feels, then maybe it's good that you have the insufficiency, the human insufficiency, so that God will be sufficient. Amen. Amen. So, the second reason is that we have um, an ability to hide our gifts. We hide your. He said, I was afraid. And I went and hid thy talent in the earth. Now, that energy you used to dig, that energy you used to look for the place to hide. That energy you used to take up the debt with a shovel. You went to look for a shovel. You expended energy. You took the earth. You put it out till it was deep enough. You covered it. You looked to see if anybody was coming. That energy could have been used in a positive way. But we have a way of hiding our gifts. And sometimes you hide it by not even telling anybody what you can do. Or you hide it by not volunteering at all in the church. When they say, oh, who can do this? Or who can help us with this? You, ne- you never volunteer. You never give up yourself for any service. You are just embroiled with your children, your husband, your fork, your knife, and your candlelit dinner. That's all. And you hide underneath that. You hide the talent underneath that. And so, whenever anything, you know, you will never know What you can do. Some people say, I'm called to be an evangelist. I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called to be an apostle. I I wonder how, and yet they don't want to do anything in the church of God. I wonder how they know what, what their giftings are. Because I'm always asked this question, and I say that it is like when you are being educated, you do all the general subjects. And then as you go higher, you start to define what you think is your place. But you only know it when you do all the general subjects for some years. In the same way in the ministry, you do everything you are asked to do. And it is with time that you find that, oh, these are my strengths. But some people, they start already, they know that they are evangelists. And that they are called to big time crusades, you know. And the crusades to only in the cities. (laughs) But God never does that. You will always start with menial jobs. So called. Amen. When we were in Collegon, I was in charge of the toilets. And happily so. When we were in Kolebu, I had to scrap the floors to have people's weddings because there were not enough people in the church. So if you come and say, oh, I'm a pastor's wife. Me, I don't do such jobs. It's not part of the calling of a pastor's wife to do such jobs. And even up till now, my office is in charge of protocol. Now, when we are in charge of protocol, it means that 
we serve food, we wipe floors, we run around for men of God who come. We do all that there is to be done. When evangelist Benin was coming a few months ago, we have to look at our menu. You understand? You can't say, I'll bring a Benko and Kontomri and you cannot. And we do everything in-house. So we have to revise our menu every year because the board members are the same. Every year they come. You are coming to bring the same thing. It cannot be. You have to revise all that. But one interesting thing was that I kept telling my, I keep telling my staff, you know, that thing in Ghana where, where the food is produced from, where the food is produced from, it's some dirty place. Do you understand? But when the food comes out, then it's some nice place. I, I said, you, we don't do that here. And when we are serving, it's not easy for them. I don't care whether you are master's, PhD. I said, if you can't, in this department, we are all servants. If you can't be a servant, you can't work here. There are other departments that you don't have to wipe somebody's spilled tea. You don't have to clean toilets. We still clean toilets because the meeting is long. So people go in, out, in, out. So I actually have to teach them how to clean because everybody's concept of clean is different. But the reason why I was making this point was that when he came the first day and we went into the meeting, and I came back upstairs with them after the service for a meal, my staff said to me, Mommy, his bodyguards came to the kitchen. And they said, before he can eat anything, we have to see the kind of kitchen producing his food because he has been to places and he has eaten, he has running stomach, and he's not able to minister anymore. And if you're a man of God, you are standing by the pulpit, you have running stomach. <laughs> so they came, they asked for the menu. They looked at their dustbin, their plates, the sink, the fridges that were standing there, their hands, their attitude to the food. They were just looking at them. They came backstage inside the kitchen. And when they finished, they said, oh, we give you a clean bill. He can eat here. But the person cleaning is behind. It's not seen. And if the person says, oh, it's just toilet." I'll hide my talent. You hide it by not using it. I'll just whatever. Then an evangelist may not even accept an invitation to preach in your church. Or may not accept an invitation to fellowship afterwards. I tell you, the meetings afterwards, the small ones, were more powerful than the ones from the stage. Oh, people serving until they were slain on the floor. Oh, it wasn't a simple whatever. It was greater than what had facilitated it. Somebody not hiding her gift. See, I can clean toilets. I can clean the kitchen. But in the name of God. Not because other people clean kitchen, do toilet for funerals and other things. But you are doing it. <laughs> for the kingdom of God's sake. Amen. The third reason we don't use our talents is fault finding. The servant said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man. Reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. The gentleman with one talent did nothing because he found fault with the master who sent him forth. He described him as a hard man who benefited from things he did not deserve. 
Fault-finding is a common characteristic of fruitless and inactive people. Instead of getting involved in the work of God, they sit back and analyze others who are fighting hard to do something for God. It is not difficult to find fault with someone or something if you are looking for it. And what, will you, what you will find about people who are striving to serve the Lord is faults because they are not perfect. But the faults you find will only become the reason for you to withhold your own abilities. Why even bother to look for faults in God's servant? God did not choose angels to work for him. He chose flaw-ridden men and women of varying backgrounds to do his work. You will always find something wrong when you look closely at God's servants. Amen. Amen. People even lose their chance to be saved because sometimes they look at the, the dressing of the preacher. They say, this one, you can never preach for me to be saved. <laughs> or sometimes they, they listen to the, the expression of the person. Ah, his English is very faulty. His, this, all that is true, but it will keep you from the kingdom of God. Amen. And the servant said, I didn't do it because you are a hard man. Instead of looking to the talent and what you have used it for, you are looking to the person who sent you and finding fault. And perhaps it is true that he is strict, but that's not the reason why you should hide your talent. Amen. Amen. So, so this, this leader, uh, he drives me too much. He drives you because you are too laid back. You need to be driven. So thank God for the person who has come into your life to drive you. But instead of seeing that as an opportunity, then you start to find fault. Oh, he drives me too hard. After all, the things will be achieved, you know? If you are phlegmatic like me, you feel that we should take five days to do it. And then the choleric says we can do it now. And believe me, after 24 years, something has rubbed off. And when I have meat, I said, we are doing this now. Oh, mommy, when I went, I said, don't give me an excuse. Give me answers. Give me solutions. And I know where it's from. <laughs> give me solutions. And when I went, and then it was broken, and then I, I said, you are telling me all the things that were wrong. What did you do? Did you put it right before this? Uh, I said, nah, you are now thinking about it. <laughs> but when you find fault, oh, this person is hard. This person is small money, real. this person, this or that. You will never use your gift. The choir, the choir master, he shouts too much. He likes that. We want to wear our own clothes every day, red and white, red and white. What is that? You are saying that, and that sometimes may lead you out of the choir. So fault finding. Sometimes fault finding with your husband. He's this. He's that. Because of the mikra, I won't do anything in the church. Hey, you will stand alone before God. And when you stand before God, you say, why didn't you do this? My husband, he was too some way. And God says, that's not the... I gave you something. What did you use it for? But we get distracted with fault finding. And that is one of the dilemmas of a pastor's wife. Do you understand? She has had an issue with her husband at home. And then when she comes and sits in the front, he will be preaching powerfully. I want to teach you about the love of God. The love of God is unconditional. So look at him. Does he love me unconditionally? Look at him. I always say that when you come to the church, he's your pastor. He's a man of God. He's anointed by God. So disengage that bedroom issue. It's not related. It's a new forum. Amen, ladies? 
Fan, because I didn't bless him in the bedroom this morning. He was angry. But as he's preaching, he's smiling and things. And then he's even putting it in the preacher that some of you wives say, I don't care. <laughs> but when you are in the presence of what he's your pastor, he's anointed to bring the word of God to you. And if you don't receive it, you will be at a disadvantage because everybody else is receiving and moving on. And you are bringing your fault finding. That's, eh. And you know in our church we have this we call PPQ. Pre-preaching quarrels. They come before preaching and they go after preaching. Which shows you that it's an attack. We first heard of it from Derek Prince. It wasn't, he didn't call it PPQ but we called it PPQ when we first started in ministry. And he said that when he's getting ready to preach, he becomes stressed, under pressure, irritable. So anything his wife says is an issue. You know, so his wife has learned to stay out of his way. And then he comes to preach. So we also learned it as the young Christians. as Pre-preaching quarrel, you know that's an attack. It's just the enemy. Because after the preaching, there's a flow. There's nothing, you know. And I think, I sincerely think that preaching puts you under pressure. So you yourself, you are short-tempered because you feel so inadequate. What am I going to say? Then your wife is also bringing other issues. It will not be easy for her because she's the closest to you. Amen. Amen. Because I find that I even do that to my children. Because as a woman in ministry, when I'm moving out, that's when everybody reminds, remembers their needs. Mommy, I'm supposed to see a dentist. How will I go? I said, I said the driver would take you. And mommy, I'm supposed to renew my this day at British Council. I said, why do you wait when I'm about to go? Then you bring all these things. And then the biggest of them all. <laughs> ah, so he said the meeting is where? So when will you come back? So, <laughs> But you have to know there's an attack to know what to do. But we hide our talents like the man. I know that you are a wicked man, a hard man, reaping where you have not sown. Therefore... I hate my talent. I would say here that sometimes we feel as pastors' wives that we are doing our husbands a favor by helping them in the ministry. But I don't think it's a favor. I think it's an individual call God places on your life. And I think that you are accountable to God for it, not to the man. So if you keep looking at your man and you keep measuring what you are doing, by marital issues. That's the dilemma. You mix marriage and ministry. And you don't know which one is which. And you don't even know where to draw the line. But there are different departments and we shouldn't always mix them. You see, when uh, uh, we have, let's say, staff meetings, full-time staff meetings, and they say, okay, uh, lady pastor, they don't even call me lady pastor, sister mommy. What do you think? And then I say what I think. And then my husband, the bishop, says, no, we are not going to do it that way because this and that. By the grace of God. I don't freak out. But I feel that we are at a staff meeting. Yeah. The visionary is speaking. It's like a company. The MD is speaking. You, your bank. Do they always take what you, they, you, you want to wear violet and white? But the bank says wear green and blue. You don't cry with it. You just wear the green and blue. But because it's your husband, then you say, eh, they should wear violet and white. Why are you saying? So your dilemma is that you don't know when it's ministry and then when it's marriage. And then you mix both. 
and then you end up in fault finding. Say, hey, he's this, he's that. He's... Sometimes the fault lies with us. So in staff meetings, I contribute what I can. And then if I even think something, I don't say it's other forum. I just listen to what they are saying, the points, whatever. When we go home, and then I would say that, I think that this point this person made, the person had a point because this and that and that and that. Then you can disagree, talk about it, and that's it. But not that at staff meeting where he is the head, you should also stand as a challenger. Like, yes, I'm also saying that, you know. In the end, you may even lose your place. And you may not be asked your opinion any, anymore because you are so somewhere. Every day you bring conflict, so they have to leave you out. You know, so fault-finding. Some of the fault-finding, we should find it with ourselves and not with the person who has given us the talent and the opportunity to work. Amen. You will never know what your call is, what your giftings are, what your talents are, unless you put it out for the master's use. And unless you have a humble spirit that whatever you are asked to do, you may not be a pro at it. I've not done it before, but I'll try. I don't know how to go about it, but if you will help me, I'll do it. I don't know how to do this, but if you think I can do it, I'll go for it. And you'll be surprised what the Lord will do. I was afraid because, and I hid my talent because you are a hard man. And you are difficult to please. If we go by that, we will miss out on using our callings. Because our callings will be cut short. Our giftings will be cut short. Because we are busy fault finding. Amen. Amen. The fifth reason is despising the smallness of your gift. I wa- the fourth reason. Oh, we are not on faith yet. Okay. Despising the gift you have. Despising the gift you have. He assumed that his talent would not yield much. He despised what he had been given. Many people feel they cannot preach as well as some of the well-known preachers of the world. Perhaps you know that you could never really have a large cell group. Perhaps you feel you have just been given some bland, featureless gift. You complain because there's nothing remarkable about your gift. For this reason, you simply tuck it out of sight. You see, sometimes people have wild testimonies about how they got born again. You know, I used to move from this nightclub to this nightclub. I used to be a wild prostitute. I used to do this. Then you don't have (laughs) a very interesting testimony. How can anybody be saved by my testimony? I got born again from my mother's womb. When I even say my story, it's not exciting. It is featureless. It doesn't have any shine to it. But you just share what the Lord has done. And the Holy Spirit will still use it to lead some to Christ. Amen. It doesn't always have to be a dramatic, you know, like Archbishop Duncan Williams said, have five fingers, and then he bent some, and then he will show the fingers. You don't have any such... uh, (laughs) testimony, but you must still preach the gospel. Amen. Amen. The fifth reason is we despise the smallness of our gift. You see, sometimes you say, oh, my house is small. Oh, our church is small. 
Our church has only five members. Our church is not big. Our money is not much. Our gift is not much. My husband's gift is not much. My own gift is not much. So you despise the amount. First of all, you can despise the talent, like the, the feature, the way it is. Then you can also despise how much you have been given. And that is by comparison. The one who received one may have compared to those who received five and two. And when you look at it, you say, ah, this sister, she can do five things. Maybe Sister Betty can do ten things. And then me, I can do one. I've been cheated. I've been cheated. I've not been treated well. Whenever my husband wants something to be done in the church, he doesn't call me. He leads me only to places that are not exciting. Uh, some pastor's wives say that when they start churches, they are always led to things that are not exciting. Go and do the choir. Go and do this. When it starts to work, then they move them. <laughs> so, okay, now the choir is working. Move to another place. And they take them to a feature, another featureless place. And it goes on and on. It's a very common complaint. And I say, because they see you as themselves. They say, now it has worked here, move on. So it shows that you are a consultant. You move here, you make. You move here, you make it happen. You move here. Say, so, no, 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 no. When it's working and then there's a flow. No, then he says that I should move. You know, so this man must have despised his gift that it's only one. You see. I could despise my gift that, oh, it's only meeting and greeting. It's only receiving people. It's only giving food. No, 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 Lord. I want something else. I want to preach all the time. But I think that if God wants you to preach, he will open the doors. And he does. I'm not even able to meet my preaching uh, schedule. But it doesn't mean that what he has called me to do in the church I should also not do it. I don't know if you understand. And sometimes, some pastor's wives have been so carried away by my ministry that in the end, their marriages go on the rocks because they are so busy with their ministry. And it is okay, the, the God's ministry. But they are so busy with it that they lose out on the little things. That's why some very great women of God I've not been able to marry because it brings competition in the ministry. And it's not easy to be a woman in ministry. My, one of my uh, pastor's wife's friends told me in another church, told me that um, her husband traveled, and she's also a pastor, so she had to handle the church for a while. As she was handling the church, she was teaching them, whatever. the church people got very excited. So they started to send her husband texts. Oh, mama preached today. It was so powerful, whatever. And I told her, when a man hears that, you have to be careful. She said, oh, how? I said, look, the man can be Billy Graham, whatever. He still wants to feel that he's in charge and that you are a wife, you know? So she says to me, her husband calls her in the evening and says, hey, a lot of the church members have been calling me that you preach powerfully and all that. Are you sure that? When I come back, they'll recognize me. Are you not taking over my ministry? And she was so shocked, but I had had that conversation with her. Sister Mami, immediately I said, Oh, but you are the one who founded the church. You are the one upon which the anointing is. You are the one, upon, the one through whom I have found my ministry. Sir, sir. Sir. 
You are the Alpha. Besides you, there is no other God. So no matter how great a man is, he wants to feel that you are his spouse. He wants to feel that you still defer to him. And the Amplified says about submission, he uses the word defer as being secondary to. That's what Amplified says about submission. And that's why some of you shouldn't have mind because the submission thing is an issue. Yeah. <laughs> a big issue for you. But when you were saying at the wedding, I'll submit myself to you, you thought it was a nursery rhyme. <laughs> but as you have married, you have come to see that it's not. So no matter how high the Lord takes you in ministry, still defer to your husband. Still let him feel that he's in charge. Do you understand? It's a need a man has. But they look so macho, so um, accomplished that you think that, oh, this small thing, what does it do? But for you as a wife, your praise, your affirmation, your deference, it does more than all the 1,200 branches added. So learn it. Amen. When your husband preaches, everybody says, Pastor, I was blessed. That was a powerful message. And then you don't say anything. You just smile. Hey, your head is swollen, you know? What is that? You become the president of his fan club. Amen. Amen. And don't say that, eh, they are all praising you. Me, I'm married to you. Like my husband says, some people say, I'm married to you. So I know the truth and all that. But praise does something to a man. The Bible says, as refining pot to silver, so is a man to his praise. Anybody. When you are appreciated for something, you rise up and you do better. Amen. So don't leave it for other people. You make a conscious effort to always affirm him. And it will even bring out the gift of God more. Amen. Amen. So don't underestimate your gift. Don't say by comparison. The Bible says they comparing themselves to themselves are no wise. Don't say by comparison. I was given only one. No, me, I want to be like Sister Mommy. I want to be, but did you know where she was and how she started? Even if you're a daughter, you can make it. It started with about three women in a TV room in the nurses' training uh, 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 college because the, the church started with a lot of students. And when it's on holiday, they all go on holiday. So the church is finished when it's holiday. And then when they come back, then they've come. You know, but three people in some back room. I never had any grand vision. I didn't know. You know, I never even prayed, oh God, make this ministry an international ministry. Never. It didn't even occur to me. The mind was not that big. But it's just faithfulness with three people. Other people were having big meetings, whatever they were having and all that, but that should not intimidate you. My three people, I said, okay, today we are coming to talk about the new creation. And then we'll just start the new creation. Our first conference, which one uh, church member told me that she still has the recording. The Complete Woman. That was my first convention I ever had in Kolebu. The Complete Woman. That you'll be sanctified in spirit, soul, and body. So that verse, used it to preach. Complete Woman. Never did I think that those three ladies, little students, in the nursing training college TV room would become an international ministry. That would go to virtually every continent. I never thought so. And I never even prayed so. But as you are just faithful with the one talent, it will multiply into something. Amen. Perhaps if he had 
not despise this one gift and he had used it. Let's say he doubled it. When he has two, the one who had two also got four. Then gradually you are climbing, you know. But to despise it and to compare, when you compare, it's often because you don't have anything doing. That's why you are looking. What is she doing? What is she about? What has she been given to do? What haven't I been given to do? Oh, I look in my plate and it's only a piece of chicken. She has five. Why is that? But if you say, this is my portion, God has given me. I'm going to run with it. You will get somewhere. But when we compare ourselves to ourselves, we are not wise. Amen. The other reason is overestimating our abilities. Sometimes also, it's not underestimating, but overestimating. Sometimes people think of themselves as being above certain tasks. They feel demeaned by being asked to do certain jobs. For instance, maybe you are Mrs. High and Mighty. If we say, take care of the toilet, you say, is that a calling? Is that a calling? Does that minister to souls? I should take care of toilets. Do you know my PhD? Do you know my family background? Do you know where I came from? Do you know who my parents are? My Bible says that we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Some of us think we ought to do more in the house of God. But the little that they've given you, if you'll be faithful with it, God will bring you into the more. Amen. The seventh reason was laziness. Because when the master came, maybe we didn't read that, but the Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knowest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Ministry involves hard work. You cannot do much for God if you are lazy. We've come to see that it's only hardworking people who accomplish much. You see, it's the same in the world as it is in ministry. If you are lazy, you, you won't come to much. Prayer is hard work, or is not? Meditation in the word is hard work. Bible study is hard work. Talking to people is hard work. And believe me, there will be many things that will come to stop you from wanting to do what God has called you to do. Everything is hard work. Preaching is a lot of hard work. Standing to preach the whole day is a lot of hard work. Preparing to preach is hard. I often say that practicing as a lawyer, for me, and preparing my brief was easier than preparing to preach. Because when you are preparing to preach, you want to hear from God. You are waiting on God. You are waiting for a word. You you are waiting. Sometimes you are not hearing. You know, you feel so inadequate. But in law, you have prepared your brief. When you enter the court, you ask the accused person to stand. They read the whatever. You you bring your arguments. After that, here and there, here and there, examination, cross-examination, re-examination. And then you close, closing remarks. And then the verdict is given. It is back and forth. But for me, I think that it was still easier. You know. And then, because I didn't love, I didn't like the court process. I don't like um, advocacy and litigation. And so, just before I left for 10 years, I did legislative drafting. And that is, you write the laws for Ghana. They say um, they want a law on corruption, anti-corruption, or transitional transition, like when one president comes and the other is coming, they, they need to make laws. So they come and see your department. And then your boss gives you the work. 
So they write all the things they want. We want that after that, cars should be this, houses should be this. They are laymen, they give you all that. Then you put it in law. That no person shall do this. Anyone who does this shall be guilty of this. A schedule to the law. This, that, that you do all that. Still, I think that ministry work is more difficult than that. And in drafting, they say that you must think like a bad person. If you are making a law, think like a bad What would a bad man like to do? How will he go around the law? If you use this word, will he say that there are five interpretations to this word? So, this that. You have to think through all that. But still, I feel that ministry work is more exacting. Because it's not just head. It's your heart. It's your emotions. It's your, and people are ungrateful. In law, if people cheat you, when they come, you don't do the case till they've paid. So you go about it in a way. When I started as a young lawyer, I was working with my father-in-law. I used to wonder, why is he so mean? These poor people, he wants them to pay before they come. So Bishop Saki and I, we took a case, and we said, oh, the man looks more boy and all that. And we, lawyer, I'll pay. My pain, you know. So we did the case, did the case, did the case. He had this innocent face, but he had stolen from highways. And so when we close from the court, then we'll say, he looks like a thief. But when we go to the court, we defend him. <laughs> we don't defend with lies, but we defend that, you know, they can't prove that this, the evidence, that's why people say lawyers are liars. They're not liars, though, because what you call stealing is different from what the law calls stealing. Do you understand? Maybe he took it, but he didn't have the intent to defraud. You say, I saw it, I saw it. You said, but there was the intention there. That's also another. So we said, this man is innocent, whatever. So we did the case every time, promise, every time. He didn't pay a penny. I tell you, a penny. Then we saw that uh, our boss is experienced. And we have come with our goodness. He never paid. He was sly. He was some way. Then recently, Bishop Saki got an invitation. He has become a pastor. He should come to his church to preach at a, a Jamestown area. So Bishop Saki told him, I said, when you go, ask him that where is our money. <laughs> So sometimes you think you know, but the experienced person, all that was still easier than preaching. Preaching is enjoyable. It's rewarding. There's nothing like the ministry for me. Because as a lawyer, lawyers rather break marriages. You understand? They facilitate your divorce. And a pastor brings you together and says, let's try and obey God's word. It's true you are hurt. It's true you are broken, but try and obey God's word. I don't know of anything that heals marriages. I don't know of anything that heals lives. I don't know of anything that gives hope. I don't know of anything that gives hope beyond eternity. I don't know of anything that when all hell breaks loose, the word of God can still stand. I don't know anything like that. I don't know anything that prevents people from going mad. Because many women are mad because some issues they grappled with, they couldn't. But the grace of God and the strength he gives makes some of us who should have been mad we are sitting in the presence of God today. I don't know anything like the ministry that does that. Nothing can bring forgiveness like the divine grace of God. That says, I forgive this person. Let it go. Sometimes you are overwhelmed by something like David. You know, you are so broken. You lift up your voice and you weep. And the Bible says that even the power to weep is taken away from you. Yet in the ashes, he says he can bring beauty. As a lawyer, you can't bring hope to anybody. As a doctor, you get to your wit's end. But the call of God and the ministry, what it does, there's nothing greater than that higher calling. 
Amen. And so when we are asked to do something in the kingdom, let's see the bigger picture of kingdom values more than our marriage, our little tiff with our husband and how he's unromantic, you know. My husband is more romantic than me. I always tell my church people. My husband is very romantic. Me, I'm loving, but I'm not romantic. Do you know the difference? Oh, romantic is, you know, you light candles and perfumed candles to whatever. I won't light that, but I'll look after you nicely and I'll be good to you. And that's loving. But romantic is, uh-huh. let's go for a ride here. Then we park here. Then we whatever. I'll come walk on the beach in the night, then I'll be saying it's frightening. (laughs) What can happen? The next reason is not wanting to be cheated. He said, I knew that you were a hard man and that you reap where you have not sown and gather where you have not stored. Therefore, I hate the gifts. So you know that you, you, you cheat me. There's a lot of injustice. So there's a lot of injustice. So because you don't want to be cheated, you cannot, you cannot do... The Bible says in Philippians 2, 5 to 7. Shall we turn our Bibles to it? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Not wanting to be cheated is another important reason. The mind that I'm being cheated is a thought that paralyzes the average person into inaction. The thought that somebody is cheating you will cause you to be withdrawn and cause you to hold back. You see, sometimes in the church, it is true that there's injustice. And sometimes in the church, it is true that we are unfairly treated. You know, but you can't always use your experiences to live your life. You must live your life by the word of God, not by what you experience. And I believe that that's why Philippians 4, 8 says, among other things, that whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are pure, and says whatsoever things are just. Because injustice, when you think about it, it will paralyze you. You'll be filled with bitterness. You will not feel like going on. Because sometimes in the church, when something is done by a male pastor or another person, the person may be promoted for it. When you do it, it's not even recognized. It's not even seen. Do you understand? Sometimes when somebody um, maybe misbehaves, the person will not be told of. But when you are doing your best to serve God, you rather will be told that you have misbehaved. And you don't know what you have done. Sometimes... Maybe they're appreciating people. They never appreciate you. Ever. You are not on the list. But you know that you work hard. And you know that they're always calling you, do this, do this, do this. But when they are reading thanks from the pulpit, our thanks goes to Archbishop this, prophetess that, and you, your name doesn't feature on the list. If you go by that feeling of not wanting to be cheated, you will withdraw from ministry because you will feel cheated. Amen? I think that, you know, sometimes there are things you can call injustice. For instance, when the church started, 
the ordained male pastors. And then after a while, they decided to ordain female pastors. And on the day that they ordained female pastors, I was also ordained. But I was ordained in the same ceremony. But they started with my ordination. And after that, they did the ordination of the other female pastors. Now, amongst these female pastors, now when we are in the church, let's say, if they say, oh, Lady Reverend should sit here. I sit with people who, when I knew them in the church, they were in secondary school, they were now coming into church before they went through Lagon. I nurtured them through Lagon, and they became reverends. But we all became reverends on the same day. Do you understand? By the grace of God, I thought or think that the church went through many phases. So when they decided to ordain ladies, they had to put all ladies together to ordain them. But some people, even males, came to me and said, that, "Ah, why should you be made a reverend on the same day as these people? You shouldn't have allowed it. It's not right. People in the church, oh, it's not right. So why? What's wrong with it? Ah, how can a small girl like this be called reverend with you? I said, because the kingdom of God is not about posts. And it's not about titles. But it's about doing God's way. But you need a certain heart. Otherwise, when you feel cheated, hey, you will also rise up. Chobwe, yeah, chobwe, yeah. A looter in the church. And you may even be justified. And as Christians, we think that when we are justified, it means that we can misbehave. When it's true, oh, it's true that I was cheated. It's true that I was not treated right. It's true that, therefore, I can misbehave. No. No. The Bible says, whatsoever things are just. Just. Think about these things. Because injustice, it makes something boil in you. It changes your heart. And now, when they are doing, they call the meeting, they say, they are doing this, you'll be saying in your head, do. They are going here. Mm, call the people you appreciate and the people you think are uh, whatever. Call them and let them. Whatever. I mean, women, eh? We have our ways. <laughs> Amen. Amen. But if you believe that your call is divine, then it doesn't matter because when David was called, Saul rather put him on dangerous trails. He said that, let him go and fight among the Philistines, he will be killed. Let him marry my daughter and then let me ask him for dowry that he cannot get. As he's going to get the hundred foreskins, he will be killed. All Saul's reasons were wrong. But if it's God who has really called you, no man can hide that gift. He said, behold, I set before you an open door, which no man, including yourself, can shut. So if it's an open door, it's an open door. But in the time when you are believing God, you will never see it around you. It's like faith. You can't see it. But you just trust him that what he has said, he will bring to pass. You know, but we go on bickering. That's why churches are even in courts. This one says, I'm global. And this one says, I'm EP. And this one says, who is the head? If you're a pastor's wife, you feel that you will not be head. I say, if you want to be head, come into the ministry. Hey, manifestations. Not of the spirit, of the flesh. <laughs> the Bible says that the kingdom of God is like a man who drew a net and caught so many different kinds of fish. That's what we have to grapple with. Different kinds of fish. Rude fish. Insolent fish. Licentious fish. Fish with different motives. 
Criminal fish. Fish with, you know, some people, they do things so that they will be promoted. So that they will be seen. The Bible says the Pharisees, they love to be seen by men. All types of fish. Are you now coming to fight with every fish? Why are you red? Why are you blue? Why are you? Leave it to God. God said, leave the wheat and the tares to grow together. I am the judge. I will do what I will do. Amen. So this man says, you reap where you don't sow. You give things that you expect things from. I'm always being cheated. I'm always being taken advantage of. Therefore, I hate the gift. All these things are Satan's ways of making us not come into the place where God wants us to come. Amen. Amen. In some churches, if you're a woman, you're not even allowed to speak. And I've had some pastor's wives from some of those places come and tell me, I feel cold, but there's nowhere to express my gifting. What do I do? I say, oh, the world is your parish. You can witness wherever you want to witness. You can bring people to, and that alone is very fulfilling for me, I think. It's very fulfilling. More than post, post, post. You wonder when they write, then they'll write Apostle General, then you sign your signature. Like, Why? You see, so I say that, find something to do in the church. Some people say that, nobody has called me to give me anything. And I always say that, there are things I do in the church that nobody has called me to do. For instance, like this flag parade I told you about. And then also, as I believe that I'm a pastor, sometimes I see people, and the Lord just speaks to me concerning the person. If you sometimes my assistant, Lady Pastor Shelley, the one behind the camera, she'll say that, Mommy, the Holy Spirit really speaks. Once we had a program, a big program in the church, and then I, I brought a lady. So I, I was with somebody, and the person said to me, Today I'm very excited that I'm coming to church because as Bishop has been prophesying that you give offerings in different currencies and all that, it has literally happened to me. It was the first night. So I'm bringing this, this, this. The person was close to me, so she told me everything. I'm bringing this currency, this currency. Hey, then your envelope will not be easy. So we all came into the church. As they were taking the offering, and this person came to put her offering in, I noticed the usher who took the offering. And so when I was putting my offering, I wrote behind my envelope, and I kept writing. This particular asha used to be where we sat. And for years, I'd been writing. I don't know why. Please don't take my offering. It is hard end. I want it to reach God. Please make sure it reaches. So it's something I've done privately for a long time. So I said, on that day, I said, why do I always feel that when this particular asha is standing and coming for my and I have to write that. Well, what is it? You know, so I even thought, it's a bad thought. But I didn't give it a lingering thought, and then it went. So when we went home, I said to my husband, hey, God should forgive me. But as this lady who had told me she was bringing this, this was bringing the off, I just felt that this offering will not reach where it's going. Meanwhile, we have not had that experience before. Then he said, really? Then immediately he took his phone and started to call the treasury. And said, look for this envelope. This is my mom. What did they say? This... And I was like, ah, why is he over the top about it? The treasury w- rang back. We were out of the country. After that meeting, we... they didn't find that offering. The mother said, oh, what? Go back. Everybody should be searched. It was a Sunday. They had just left church. 
They went back. They said they didn't find. Then I said, I remember the person holding the basket into which this thing was dropped. Really? I said, yes, I told. Ah, so he called the people. Go to the person's house, check out. When they went, it was there. It was there, crowd, with all the lineup of this, that, 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 that. So I'm saying that God uses us. I was saying that don't wait to be called before or to be given a task. Sometimes you can see. Like I say to, I say to my children, you are walking here. You can see that this plant has not been watered. Or you can see that somebody's success on the face. You say, it's not for me. What type of nonsense is that? <laughs> you pick it up whether it's for you or not. You know, so I'm saying that in my church, practically, sometimes God ministers to me about people. For instance, we had a, a youth, Shomkom, the saved homecoming. And then I saw a girl. And then she came and said, I would like to come and see you. So I said, come. And I was working with Lady Pastor Shelley. So I said to Lady Pastor Shelley, this girl has been used by men so much. I don't think she likes it. Her whole life is... What did Lady Pastor Shelley said, ah, mommy, why did she? I said, no, I just feel that. So we went up, and she was in the meeting. So the girl came, and she was crying. She really wants to be serious with God now. I preach about godliness. So I said, so what is it? She said, oh, I sleep with so many men. A young girl, young. I sleep with so many men for money, and I want to change. I, whatever. Then as we sat there, I said, and somebody in your home has been sleeping with you. So Shelly said, when the girl left, Shelly said, Mommy, how did you know? I said, I don't even know. I don't even feel like, there's no. <laughs> Do you understand? But I just said, and somebody in your house has been sleeping with you. And she said, yes, my big brother for 11 years. And she broke down weeping and all that. And today, she was not in the church then. She's joined the church. And she comes to say hello to me. And I said, look, you need a Bible. You need this book. You need to do this. You need to get it. But nobody called me that. Or she didn't come like altar call to me. When I did the altar call, so many people came. But she didn't come singularly to me. Or, but you can just see. And sometimes your church member, you can see that, ah, today you are not yourself. But instead of speaking um, socially, you are not yourself. You're not Oh, be happy. Why? Not that. Ministration. You know? So you call the person. And say that, can I see you? And then when they come, you say that, your face doesn't look, what, what, what burden are you carrying? Remember God's word that, come unto me, all ye that labor. Then usually the person will just break that. It's true. Even when I was coming to church, this and that and that. Then you are doing work. It's not on stage, but a lot of lives are being affected. By you, you want a desk, you want an office, and you want a label on the door before you rise up and do God's work. God help us. Not wanting to be cheated. They didn't call me. They didn't give me the work. They didn't. But you can do so many things that will make a big difference. Wickedness is the next reason. Wickedness. A story is told of a man who was walking on the bank of a river. He was in his suit and a little girl was drowning. The little girl was calling, I'm drowning. This man was a world-class swimmer. I'm drowning. I'm drowning. Then the man looked at his suit and said, hey, the way I'm dressed, I'm going for a high-profile meeting. How can I get into this water? In the end, the little girl died. 
What was the man's crime? He did nothing. So our crime as Christians is doing nothing. People are in the sea of hell, of darkness. They are drowning, and we are wearing our nice charismatic garbs, our nice charismatic names, and we are not doing anything about it. So some of you come to church regularly. You always warm the pew, but you do nothing. And because of you, some people are going to go to hell. Because of you, some people are not going to find direction for their lives. And you still sit and do nothing. You just observe. When you are coming, you come with your push chair. I don't know how push chair works in Ghana, but you come with it. And you come with your baby bag. And then you will be changing the baby. And all. That's all you do. Pew warmer. That's all. But because you do nothing like this servant, the Lord may call you a wicked servant. Amen. And then finally, being spiritually unprofitable, worthless and useless. When the master came in Matthew 25, 28 to 30, he said, Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath, and cast ye the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Unprofitable. Does God have any benefit or profit from you? Does the church of God have any benefit or profit from you because you are a pastor's wife or a lady minister? Is there any profit or is it just the title? A lady came to my office from a church and told me that in her church, they have so many lady pastors, but they don't do anything. I said, what do you mean they don't do anything? Oh, they just wear a collar and then come on Sundays, but they don't do anything. I said, what do you mean by that? I said, oh, no duties are signed. They just don't do anything. So you can be there. It means that it's just dressing, isn't it? You wear the black, this thing, white collar, and then you come. And then that's it. After church, your work is finished. And profitability. What is your profit? What is your worth? Worthlessness. What, what, what is your worth in this world and in the ministry? Are you like Dockers that if something is to happen to you, the kingdom of God will feel it? <laughs> and the people you have ministered to will weep so much that it will cause you to rise from the grave. God will use that to raise you from the grave. Do you have any such thing? Amen? So we need to rise up from our unprofitability. And sometimes we are unprofitable because we are submerged under our emotional problems. You have so many marital challenges. You are waiting for your husband to change. And the, only the Holy Spirit can change him. But you have made your, yourself God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And you are trying to change him. He's phlegmatic. When you tell him pay the bills, he doesn't do it. It takes six months, and you have to do it yourself. You hit your head against the, the, the wall. You, you just, uh, your whole project is your husband. You are always crying. You are always weeping. Your only prayer topic is your husband. How can, you, how can one person control you so much? It's the Holy Spirit that should be in control of our lives. Because so many things will come to break your heart. And if you are not expecting disappointment, then don't come into the ministry. And if you are not expecting heartache, don't marry. Because you are likely to offend your husband and your husband is likely to offend you. Not because of anything, but because you are just human. He may say something, he's joking, and then you're angry. 
Or you may say something, you are joking. That's not what I meant. You didn't have any bad intention, but it has happened anyway. So you cannot let marital issues, emotional distress, drown you from what God wants to accomplish in you. But rather, as you take your mind off that and you focus on the kingdom of God, you'll be surprised what God will bring to pass. I don't say that it's easy. And I don't say that it's going to be achieved in a day, but you can be very happy in the Lord on your own. Amen. (laughs) Marriage is made up of two already fulfilled people. Not two people who are coming to now find fulfillment. Of course, we all have emotional needs. We all want to be loved. We all want to be um, appreciated and all that. But unfortunately, you have this treasure in earthen vessels. Sometimes the day of your greatest need is when your husband has gone to preach somewhere. Or something will hit you, bam, from the office. You call and say, the mobile number you are trying to reach is out of recovery area. I hear that's what they say in Kumasi. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Recovery area. You are calling, 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 but the Holy Spirit will never be out of coverage area. Never. So it's not that he's a bad man. It's not that, but he's just out of coverage area. And the the mobile phones, the lines, they lie. Bishop Adi says they have a lying spirit. (laughs) They just lie. You dial, they say the number, the, the phone is on. But they say it's been switched off. It's not true. But because of our human, whatever, you are not able to reach the person. What are you going to do? If like Esther, you say that the king has not called me these 30 days. Esther, oh, she was being married. There was a public holiday. She had favor. The Bible says the king loved her above all the women. Whatever. But for 30 days, they are in the same house. The man has not called her. And therefore, she cannot go into the king's presence. Let me ask you, those 30 days, are you going to make a funeral? We must have the faith to develop our relationship in such a way that God is sufficient. Amen. Amen. And also, God meets our needs also through other people. You know? So women should learn to be friends. Can't you see that when you are bossing with your friend, she understands what you are saying immediately? I was telling Bishop Saki, I wonder why God put two incongruous people like that together. I mean, male and female. They are two different. What a woman wants is not what a man wants. What a man wants is not what a woman When I do marriage counseling, the man Lady Pastor, my wife is very wicked. They are very angry. What is it? She does not bless me in the bedroom. And when I explain that, it's not wickedness. But you yourself, too, you have not sown the right seeds. You see, I'm not using it as an excuse, but as an explanation that when you don't nurture a woman well, in the bedroom, she also cannot flow. They don't get it all. Say, hey, the Bible says she should render due benevolence. What if? <laughs> then when I talk to the wife, I say, look, forget about waiting till the right emotional temperature comes because it may never come till Jesus comes. Do you understand? But you do your part and then God will use that to fulfill your side of it. So sometimes we become unprofitable because we are so... Peter said that you'll be in heaviness through manifold temptations. Manifold trials can make you not push forward, search forward to do what God has asked you to do. But you'll be surprised that as you rather minister to people, your healing will come. Your strength will come. Your fulfillment will come. Because God will bless you with so many lives that will enrich your lives. Amen. Sometimes we get immersed in church politics. 
This one says this, and this one did this, and this one always ignores me. And this one, when I greet her, she looks somewhere. If she looks somewhere, call her. Hey, Agnes, didn't you see me? Uh, oh, lady reverend, I thought that I, you didn't think that was it. It's me. It's me. You know that is me. And then you, you flow from there. But some of you, you can't make light of it. You understand? You have to call a UN conference. You have to uh, sort out the issue. Then it becomes a whole. Not long ago, we went for a pastor's wife's dinner. I just take them out. It was a Sunday when we were a bit free. I said, let's go out for dinner. When we went, I didn't even have anything to discuss with them, just fellowship. So when we sat down, then I said, you, long table. I said, you, let's say if it's, if if you were in trouble, who would you call? If I mentioned somebody in Zambia or somewhere. (laughs) I called Doris. If you were in trouble, who would you call? I would call Mrs. This. Eh, Where is she? Oh, she's in Miracle Life, Thelma. (laughs) Thelma. If you were in trouble, oh, and then some people, their friends were saying, you won't call me? You won't call me? You will call Zambia? What are you saying? <laughs> anyway, after that I said, so we move together, we flow together, but when it comes to real issues, we are not real. I didn't even have to admonish them to be real. Just ladies, we are having a dinner. Then one lady said that, I want to ask this particular lady pastor. Whenever she sees me, she just fellowships with only my husband. Me, she never minds me. I want to ask her why. At the dinner, I haven't said they should bring the topic. They have brought. <laughs> so I said, lady pastor, this. So why don't you, everybody's there. Then she says, hmm. Me, I flow with men. I don't flow with women. So it's a problem for me. A lady pastor, you are a Christian. You lay hands, everything, but you flow with men. The body of Christ is only men. You don't flow with women. So I said, why? Um, I think I don't trust women. That's what she said. I mean, the Holy Spirit just came. It was a very open, I don't trust women. So I recognized my problem with this pastor's wife. So because of that, then she asked her, do you remember... Last Christmas, I tried to give you a gift. It was to soften it a bit. Okay, so I'm coming along. I'll get there. Then I said, oh, what? I don't think. And before I could, then people said, she does it. eh, That's what she does. (laughs) So she said, you know, I have a problem. And I said, okay, then change. So what are you going to do to change? Then she said all the things. Today, she's flowing beer. Hurrah. And then the next week when she went, she had lunch, fufu. And she called me, Mommy, they are all in my household. They are eating fufu. We are flowing. Then her husband turned 40. She called them again. And now I see them, they are flowing. When I came back to the church, then I told my husband and Bishop Saki, they almost fainted. Hey, the people here, because women, our politics is not clear. You can't see something. They did not believe it. Then another lady pastor said that whenever we go for camps, you in particular, you see, they pair them, this lady pastor with this lady pastor. Whenever you pair her in the night, she takes her sleeping garb and then she goes to where the shepherds are, not where the lady pastors are. So they said, today we want to ask you why. 
She said, no, it's not really. It's that. Then I said, I think your problem is that you can only relate to people who are under you. You know some people are like that? They can't relate to peers. They can't relate to people above them. Everybody has to be under. So if you are under, they can relate to you. But to be buddy-buddy with you when you are at par, no. So she doesn't relate to lady pastor, but she relates to shepherds. And the shepherds will be carrying her bag. Oh, let me. Oh, let me. And I'm sure that sometimes we don't even know we have the handicap. And they said to another lady pastor, you, you have a very serious face. You don't like smiling. It wasn't face, you know. It was such a beautiful atmosphere. She said, me, I don't smile. I said, in fact, you are smiles. You are my friend, but you are my friend, but you are not the smiling kind. You are more reserved. So now you have to practice smiling <laughs> in the mirror, and it will work. You know, so I think that I was saying that we, are, we get overwhelmed by our problems. So like this person, she minds only her husband. She doesn't mind it, but it's universal. And also you should know that your husband is a set man. So it is likely that people will relate more to him. It doesn't mean that, it doesn't always mean that they just want to disregard you. You know, so you should also form relationships. Somehow we are always waiting for people to come and greet us. Eh, madam, why? <laughs> be a shepherd, mingle with the sheep. You will smell of the sheep. And your life will also be blessed. Amen. Amen. So I'm believing God that you will also have the grace of the Holy Spirit to have such a dinner. <laughs> and leave unoffended, oh. <laughs> Not that when you leave, then this one will be calling this. Oh, no, 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 Even the one who said she, she's used to men and things, she just sent me a text when I was coming here. You didn't tell me you were going to whatever. You should have invited me. Then I sent a text that you don't need an invitation. You just come. You know, but she has really changed and everybody can testify to it. Another person had come from London. She said that nobody minded me. After church, everybody is busy. This one is looking for their sheep. This one is like, they left me. So you can also be so busy about the ministry that you don't build relationships. And she said it was only Lady Pastor Adele. She would always hug me. She would always talk to me. She would, I said, okay, so now you have settled. It's good. But you two become that for somebody else. You know? But that was just a healing meeting. And when we finished, there was no crying or no, hey, we all talk. After that, we're okay. And we left. But the men were surprised that there were such undercurrents. <laughs> Do you understand? They are just pastoring the church, pastoring the people. They don't know the issues under. But we, we can make or break a church the way we are. So I have a whole topic. Women, don't spoil God's creation. God will create a thing nice, but an Eve will destroy all within a day. We are capable. That's our calling. <laughs> Amen. So don't let's look for fulfillment only in marriage. Fulfillment comes from other places as well. Fulfillment comes from other relationships as well. And above all, your relationship with God. You'll be surprised sometimes when you talk to a sister, not in a complaining way, but you are telling her what's going on in your life, that she will show you that, oh, I used to have that same problem. I did this, this, this. That you are through. But we are not open with each other because we don't trust each other. And we are afraid that when we open up, it will be on CNN, Al Jazeera, and BBC. You know, so we must learn to do that.
And then we will not become unprofitable in the ministry. The Bible says if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing. A bishop means overseer. So if you desire any spiritual gift, anything, it is a good thing. And you must follow your desire to its fullest conclusion. Amen. Amen. I've done all the talking now. You can write your questions. And then answer. Shall we pray? Father, your word says that in all our ways we should acknowledge you and you direct our paths. We ask for direction in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, how do I manage ministerial responsibilities and caring for younger children at home? I would say that Paul says that we should fight the good fight of faith and that it is really a fight to have a balanced life and a balanced Christian life. Amen. It is not easy to have younger children and still have ministerial responsibilities. But there will never be a perfect time also in your life. You may think that, oh, the children now, when they grow, when they grow, you need to be more involved. You'll be surprised. And when they grow, and even they get married, they'll also have grandchildren, and you have grandchildren. Do you understand? So it never ends. So if you are going to serve God, serve him now, because you will never find an ideal situation or season in your life to serve God. Now, how do you do it? I think, first of all, I would say that's by the grace of God. Secondly, that grace will help you to manage your time properly. If you look into your life, you will also realize that as much as it is trying, you also do a lot of useless things. Sometimes you watch useless television. Sometimes you do useless Facebook. Sometimes you do useless texting and being on the phone. Things that just sap your energy and sap your strength. So you may have to cut down on some of those things to prioritize. Because not everything that is a priority, especially that gossip on the phone, is not necessary. Do you understand? So you have to do time management on your own and sit down and plan. From this time to this time, I'll do this. From this time to this. And then also, don't look for a perfect, let's say, prayer time when you have little children. I have been taught by God over the years that even when I was breastfeeding, sometimes I'll be speaking in tongues. In the midst of it, I may fall asleep, but at least I spoke to God. Because you sit down doing it for hours or for a long time. So that's the time when you can go, learn also to pray on the go. Learn to pray in the bath. Learn to play the word when you are cooking. It will change your life so much. Invest in a small we don't have tape recorder, CD player. In a small CD player, it doesn't have to be like what the men want. Equalizer. This, this, you don't need all the pieces. Do you understand? These days, well, I don't think they have pieces. They have little things, but they boom. Eh? And you can have an MP3 with a little um, loudspeaker, something, and let it play around the house. You may not sit down to listen to everything, but the type of anointing and spirit it will bring around you will be great. When you sit in the car, listen to messages. Try and be impacted by such things. That is the way to nurture your work with God. And then also ministerial work. Maybe you have church responsibilities. If you have office responsibilities, how come when you have that, 
you know that the children should go to nursery school, you should have house help, but when it comes to God's work, then you don't want to make any adjustments for that. But you make adjustments for work. It's because in your mind, work is more important than the call of God. Do you understand? But ministry is not worth all the sacrifice. So you need to change your mindset a bit and prioritize. And I believe that God will help you. I think that by the grace of God, we can say that we are examples of what God can do. You can have little children, but you can still do God's work. There have been times, you can ask my assistant, I'm going traveling with my children, and suddenly they are taking ill. Posters have been made. It's an international conference. Tickets have been bought, and I've carried my sick children onto the aircraft. And when I preach a little, then I go backstage a little, go and see temperature, what medicine, this and that and that. Sometimes I've cried a little, then I come back, I minister, then I go back. And I learned that from listening to Joyce Meyer. She said that sometimes she has family issues. So she goes backstage, she sorts it out, and then she comes because there will never be a perfect time. And that is something that I've always run with. So I've literally, and you know, the devil attacks you. So sometimes he just wants to stop you. Sometimes he doesn't even want to hear your voice at all. But we underestimate the type of wickedness he has against the call of God in our lives. We underestimate it. So, please, it's not just about your children. Your, and then also plan the days you will cook. Plan the days you will go to the market. You know, I still go to the market. So you can't tell me that you, you can't. You, you can't do this. You can't. And then also ask for help. Some people, they want to be superwoman. You want to do everything. You can't. But don't delegate things you shouldn't delegate. Don't delegate your bedroom duties. Don't delegate serving your husband. Every day, ah, bring the whatever. No. Serving a man brings something. There's some beauty about serving. And there's some sexuality about it, you know. So make sure that you do it. Amen. Amen. Don't just always call Ajua, Michael, come, bring the tea. Sometimes you must do it. And also, when it's personal, he feels it. You see? I used to do it, and then as I've grown older, when my husband comes late, I don't hear. And when I told him that I don't hear, he said, it's not true. I hear. <laughs> so I, I was so shocked that this was becoming an issue. Because I set out everything, but I just sleep and I don't hear. So it was becoming an issue. So nowadays, I set my alarm, and I tell the boy, when he's coming, call me. So when he calls me, I get up. Look. Sometimes, even in the night, I look to see if I'm wearing earrings. If I'm not, I wear earrings. And I brush my hair a bit. And then I come and sit down. Dutifully. <laughs> and then I give him food. And I sit by him. Oh, yeah, and today, and this happened, and that happened. I didn't know it was a big issue, but it is. And then <laughs> I can see that he's very happy. And then when everything is said and done, He's asleep. He sleeps immediately because he's dead. As soon as his head hits the pillow, he's gone. And I'm there. I can't sleep. And then I take a book. Sometimes I pray a bit. Sometimes I go to the next room to watch something that I think will inspire me. And I'm like, oh God, look at my life. All mixed up like this. But you have to give and take, you know, for there to be a balance. So don't do ministry work so much that your house suffers. And do, don't do housework so much that your ministry suffers. A false balance is an abomination unto God. So try and have a balance. And also ask people who have gone ahead for practical things that you can do. And they will help you do them. Amen. Amen. 
Don't let it be that every day he comes, I'm giving him tea and popcorn. It won't work. <laughs> Amen, ladies. I'm saying things that happen with tea and popcorn. When I speak, it's like, it's high falutin, but you don't know. How do you go in to change the way things are done in departments without the leaders feeling you are interfering? Show ashes about serving. You know, when you yourself are not involved and you come like some consultant to advise us, we won't take it. Because you have not been on the field. You are not a handsome person. Then suddenly you've come and say, your action department should be this. Your this should be this. But if you are involved, you have a servant spirit and a servant's approach, and then you come and say, oh, I wanted to help the ashes to do this. We will even willingly allow you. But you, you are not involved in anything. You are higher than uh, whatever. You are uh, uh, high and mighty. You can't even go through the door. You are so big. You can't even go through the door. Then you come, everything, you, all your contribution is about being, be, people being under you and you showing them what to do. Do you see? You, you may come across like that. So the best way is to be involved. Be a part of something yourself. Then when you come and tell us that you want to do that, you don't just come into the ushering department and say, today, I'm coming to have a meeting with you. How to usher effectively. Take your notebooks. Ten ways in which you can't do that. But you come through the leadership. But, oh, I felt that the usher should do this. Don't say, I have something to share with the usher. Vague. I felt that the usher should do this. Either the leader will listen to you and glean what he or she wants from what you have said. And don't be upset if they don't take all your uh, uh, ideas. Because you may think very greatly about yourself. But maybe your suggestions... <laughs> your suggestions may not be what we want. You know, I always tell my husband... Sometimes we're having an event, and then maybe we ask a caterer to do this one dish. They'll say, oh, you can also, maybe I say, oh, some people are coming from Korea. So I said, this is what we want to do. Do you have any other additions to what we, the menu? This is what we want to do. And maybe the person will say that, oh, so we are Papa Prancer, so yeah, fine. But, ah, so you may be an Papa Prancer king, but I don't want a Papa Prancer for Yongi Cho. Do you understand? <laughs> so you have to understand it. So you may think that Papa is a very good idea, but you must know that we all don't think alike. Yeah, that I may not take everything, but I may take some of what. But you may feel that we must take everything, and that you are not a leader. So the person in the chair takes the decision, like everything else, you know. And it's the office you respect, not the. I always give this example of: we all go to law school, we all are called to the same bar, we all do the same exams. See, maybe sometimes you even do better than the person. But when we leave school, some people say, I want to be judge. And some people say, I want to be a legal practitioner. The same qualifications. So some of my mates, they knew before we finished school that they, they want to be judges. Do you understand? And the qualification is 18 months at the bar. After that, you can toe the line and go to the bench. So some have gone to the bench. Now, when they have gone to the bench after 18 months, we go and appear before them. And they are the judges. When they come in, into the room, we ate um, coffee broke man together. We drank together. Even after the meeting, we may. But when they are coming, they will say, Her Ladyship, Doris Adimola presiding. Then me, that I sat with the person and everything. I have to get up. God rise. Then we get up. Then they do that thing. Boom, boom, boom. Then she comes. Her Ladyship with her. Her thing is elevated. Then she sits down. Before she sits down, we cannot sit down. 
And when she comes, she does this. Then we, who are her mates, we all go. <laughs> Do you see? Then she sits down, he or she. When the person sits down and we get up, we don't say, Ah, Doris, you know this case? No, we say, Your Honor, my Lord, your worship, depending on the hierarchy of the court. You know, never call a high court judge your worship. You have demoted him. <laughs> so when you say, District is your worship. So, my Lord, oh, yeah, even if it's a lady, we still say, my Lord. My Lord, on the 23rd of this, uh, the person can stop you. You know, we had a mate like that. Mr. whatever, would you stop? And sometimes you say, I'll not see you naked. It means that the men didn't wear their black and white. They came in blue or something. Some judges will hear you if the court is lower. But this, our mate, she will say that you are naked and I will not hear you. And some of my mates will say they didn't bring their book to court. So they'll say, according to the evidence degree section, this is my, my law, the law is in your bosom. And she once said, it is nowhere in my bosom. <laughs> <laughs> Our mate, Then after that, as the case is going, she can decide that she wants to go and drink water. She wants to go and see somebody. We don't know the reason. But she'll just tell the court clerk, no, they'll say, court rise. The case is in the middle. She'll get up, go. Some of them will be there. You are waiting. You are her mate. Why do you get up? And when she gets up, we get up again. And then we bow. Why? She's our mate. It's the office. <laughs> it's the office. So if charismatics will also learn that there's something about the office. So you don't come into a department or a court and say, I'm coming to run it my way. I'll just say, I'm making suggestions to you. Take it. No, you have to go through leadership. And leadership will des- decide whether they want to take it on. You should not be offended. You must respect the office so much that you are not offended. After court, when the person takes off her gown with we all go to the lawyer's common room and we all talk. Hey, so what did you do with your hair? This is a but in the courtroom. Do you see? In the same way, the church, we must recognize leadership hierarchies. If there's a leader of a department, I may want to bring my ideas, even as the first lady of the church. I have a way, by the grace of God, of relating to the pastors. I don't just come that. We're all here when it started. Uh, I'm also a chief executive. So this, I say, no, Pastor, this, I wanted to see you. What do you think about if we did this? Oh, I don't think this. What about this? But it's not that you just impose because you are the bishop's wife. You can't do that. So in the same way, you also have to go through the protocol of the, of the, of the palace like Esther and do the right thing. And I'm sure that if it's a good suggestion, it shall be taken. So have the right attitude and be the right person yourself. Whenever there's a misunderstanding between my husband and I over a church member issue, my husband, who is a head pastor, gets into a rage and misbehaves so much towards me. So I've decided to leave the home because we live with church members, uh, and I don't want him to be exposed. So sometimes I leave the house for days. Am I right? <clears throat> I understand your dilemma and I understand your problem. But I don't think that leaving home for days solves the problem. It probably will even drive you more apart, isn't it? That the gap will be wider. Your husband certainly must have a pastor. Can a pastor not speak to him? And can you also not speak to him? What you can do is to speak to him. Like, don't talk to me disparagingly in front of people. And don't shout at me like that. And you are saying this in your quiet moments, that if you do that, I'll be forced to go out for peace. But when you go out, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. So if you are going for days, there's been many sundowns. Oh. 
since you left. So try and come back and make peace. And also, don't make your marriage only about church members. I was reading from um, uh, Jack Hayford. He's an old American preacher, his wife. And she was saying that she realized that all the quarrels were about church members. And usually it's that. It can be just church issues, not you. The two of you are fine. You flow. But it's just church issues. This one did this. No, she didn't do it. This one did this. No, it's not true. Then it has become an issue. <laughs> Meanwhile, so once my husband said to me, Mom, you know something? As we are having this argument, these people you are talking about, they are sleeping in their house happy. They are watching television. They are eating. And they, so why do we stress ourselves? You know, so learn also not to bring too many church arguments home. I think that's one of the ways because it can become too much. And then let somebody speak to your pastor, your husband. And also find out from yourself, even if it's 1%, what is your contribution to the quarrel? Because you say that he talks this way, but what did you do to provoke that reaction? Do you understand? So the Bible says that even God can be provoked. So sometimes a woman will say, my husband hates me. You see, I'm on the domestic violence board, management board. And sometimes a woman will say, my husband hates me. He did this. But when you ask the husband what happened, you will not be happy. I knew a very quiet woman in our chair. Quiet. She does not speak. Hey. And every day, her husband will come. Problems. Is one day, the man decided to record what went on. The woman went to Waju domestic van then, that she had been assaulted by the man, whatever. The man decided to play the recording to me. I could not believe it. Wait, Jimmy, what? The girl doesn't speak. I was shocked. And then it was at that point he started to run after her. Then she tripped at the gate and cut here. Then she went to Waju. You see? So let's find out what is our side. For every problem, you have a part you played, even if it's 1%. And if you own up to the 1% and allow God to work on it and leave God to work on the 99 with him, I am sure that things can turn around. So if you know that you say provocative things or you speak at the wrong time or you speak in a very accusatory way, I mean, allow the Holy Spirit to show you and do your part. And then also, if you leave for the sake of peace, come back, come back after don't let it be for days. Do you go to your mother or where do you go? And I'm surprised that your mother too gives you a bed to sleep on. She should send you back immediately. Okay, so that the thing will widen and all that. So try and stay. It's difficult, but try and cool off somewhere and then stay. But seek help from leadership. I'm sure that they can speak to him. Okay, don't hide your issues. The moment your husband becomes a branch pastor, you are immediately expected to build up the women's ministry. I want to know how one can practically build the women's ministry. It's a good question, but the first part is like they are doing something bad to you. You are immediately expected, you know, so there's a certain attitude there that I don't think is very right. And also we should see ministry as an opportunity. There are many women who wish they could be asked to do something. So many, maybe you don't meet so many different types of people from different ministries. Some of them, they are not allowed to even say is in the church. And when I say you would think it's something far, but they are not allowed to do anything. And I mean anything. So if you're a branch pastor's wife and you are told as you are going, start women's ministry, it is a sign of trust. 
It is a sign that we believe in you and we believe that something good can come out of you. So rather, you should say, who am I? That I should be asked to do this. But that, hey, immediately, it's a place to start, you know. And you start just by gathering people, sharing God's word, sharing what God has done in your life, you know. Sharing, sometimes you even choose a book of the Bible. We are going to have a Bible study on books of the Bible. We are going to do Esther. You yourself, your life will be blessed. You will be forced to study the Bible because probably you never do. <laughs> do you see? So, okay, Esther chapter 1. You go chapter 1 to 10. So, Sister Doris, in Esther chapter 1, Vashti was called. Do you think she should have gone? Given that her husband was drunk, do you think that she should still have obeyed? What do you think? Then you bring a verse to buttress. You have started your women's ministry. And ministry is such that as you just give, people respond to it. You don't even have to do anything. People are just drawn by the anointing and the grace. And then the women's ministry will build up from there. Do you understand? Women's ministry is not about let's meet to know how to bake cakes, how to wear our makeup. I don't believe in that. And I think that many times we, we skew. The world is teaching us enough of that. Eh? FC is having a clinic. The Alouette is having this. Alio is having this. So go to those places. But a lot of women need ministry, according to Titus 2, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sober, to be discreet, to be teachers of good things. They need somebody to teach them. And it doesn't take a pastor to do that. It says the older women should teach the younger women. So it's a privilege. As for me, I don't know why God will even use clay like us. Because when you are using something, you should choose diamond or gold. Not, 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 not clay. So rather, see, it as a privilege. That's I'm going as a branch. The whole branch, they say, me, I should start a woman's ministry. Hey, who am I that my Lord should come to me? And then also other people have done it. So go to them. Other branches are ahead of you. Go to them and say, how do you go about it? How do you start? And also prayerful. Be prayerful. Anything you start, except the Lord build the house. The labor invade the building. So you don't just start with your strength. Let's have Bible study. Let's do this. You birth it. You birth it spiritually. So start to pray about it. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct. He will direct. He will show you what to do. Amen. Then also, listen to other messages. Listen to other people. Listen to people who have walked that walk. Go to the internet. Whatever. You'll find find varied ideas. But do what is spiritual. And I believe that you will be blessed. Don't be overwhelmed. Just your one talent. That's what I was saying that you are doing general subjects. You don't know what your speciality is. So if you have been asked, start a woman's ministry, start it. And you will be surprised what the Lord will do. Amen. Amen. The last one. What do you do when you try to retaliate, to relate to others and organize your women, but tend not to cooperate or accept some suggestions you made? That's one. What do you do when your husband always pushes you away when you try doing something in the ministry? When you try to relate to others and organize your women, but they tend not to cooperate or accept some suggestions you made. I think that when you become a handsome person and politicians will say grassroots, you work with the people from the grassroots. As I was saying, at a point, they will listen to you. 
you, you will give ideas, they will listen to you, and not everybody will cooperate. That's what that is. Ask pastors whether everybody comes to every program they organize. <laughs> or everybody does what they say. That's how ministry is. You can't have everybody doing everything. But I always say that God will give you some Ruths and some Naomi's and some Opus. Hmm? Ruth will go with you all the way. Opa will say bye-bye to you in the middle and still love you. Don't quarrel with Opa. Don't use all your energies on Opa. Eh, I knew that was what is in your heart. When I said that, go away. You see that Ruth is still coming by you. There you are going. No. God is helping you to know who your pillars are. So use the Ruths to build what God has called you to. He will always give you a few who will cooperate. They are enough. The few you have is enough. It's just the blessing of God you need. As you start with a few, don't quarrel with the other few you think are being some way. They will come along with time. Okay, some people have said, uh, women's ministry is not my thing. Women's ministry is the word. What is it? It's the word of God. So when people have said that, it's not their thing, whatever, I just continue with what I'm doing. Then with time, when they have issues, they say, hey, my husband, this I said, have you listened to your love life? No. Have you listened to key of acceptance? No, please. Where can I get the messages? Where can, the people who said it's not their thing. But they can always come back to me because I don't create a, a barrier and say that. Some of them, I see them and I see, oh, your medicine is in this message, but you haven't come to me to help you. So it's not because I want to feel anything, whatever, but God gives only to those who thirst. Do you understand? So if that person is not thirsty and is full, how are you going to But When I see some of the misbehavior, oh, if only this message, you would listen to this message, it will help you. And then they come back. Sometimes even the husbands will say that my, my life is different because of daughter I can make. My life is different. I can see that my wife listens to the messages and this and that and that. So don't worry. You know, everybody will come along. But the few that will come, God will use that to build the ministry. Amen. And what was the second question? Your husband pushes you away. <laughs> I, I dare say that you also have a little inferiority complex because you say the women don't cooperate and your husband too, he pushes you away. You see, so it may be that your negativity is a bit too much or it may be that you are a very reserved person or very sensitive. So if you are not brought, you, you, you don't go. Some people are like that. They are so reserved that if you don't call them, they will never come to where you are. They will never. So maybe your husband pushes you away. It's not easy when your husband is your boss. <laughs> Amen. Amen. But your boss certainly has a boss. You understand? So speak to your boss's boss. And that is likely to help you. Because then you will say, oh, ask your husband, that, ah, why is the one I'm coming to do this? You say, no. What exactly would you like me to do? And if you're humble enough to accept what he wants you to do, when he says, go to the choir, there have been small German. <laughs> you know? But obey before you complain. And with time, God will bring you into all that he has for you. God bless you. It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi, or meet her on Facebook at Reverend Mrs. Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.